grab your Bible, whether it's on your phone or you brought one today. Meet me in Acts chapter 9. We're continuing and finishing the last installment of our Witnesses series. And I've hinted through the weeks that uh, in the process, you and I don't bring anything to the table. And yet, in the sovereignty of God, He's chosen for you and I to be His conduit of grace, that He would reach people by using people. And it's kind of astonishing, because sometimes we feel guilty, right? That we don't deserve to be extending grace because, A, we're hypocrites. That's my favorite one where somebody's like, oh, the church is just full of hypocrites. You are absolutely right. And we have room for one more, right? That's a, a truth. And, and we, we understand that and we feel that tension and we at times don't feel like we have answers for what needs to be answered when we go out and be the evangelist that God's called us to be and that we've seen in this series. But the Bible is very clear that it is through the weak that God makes himself known as strong. Paul says in 1 Corinthians one twenty seven those exact words. And so that brings you and I into the mix, you and I into um, our role as evangelists. So wherever you are, Monday through Friday, Friday, 9 to 5, wherever you hang out on Friday night, wherever you're at on the weekends, you are always on mission as a witness, that you are always, as Scripture says, an ambassador for Christ. But what about when you feel like you can't be that messenger? Maybe you've been saved radically, or maybe you know God is doing things in your life. Maybe there's sin in your life. Well, wherever you are, we feel that tension at times. And so I want to dive into uh, what is not just history, but our family history. Right? As we look at Acts, we're looking at the beginning of the church. We're looking at our family history, the bride of Christ, you and me. And when we look at this story in Acts chapter 9, we're literally reading one of the most important events in the history of the world. The conversion of a guy named Saul of Tarsus forever altered the course of history. And I know that some of you type A's will be tempted, or some of you nerds will be tempted to play devil's advocate in this story. But here's the reality. God chose to do it this way in His sovereign grace. And we can learn from it. And it really is one of the most important stories in the history of the world. But before we jump into it, let, let's just talk about who Saul of Tarsus was to begin with. Saul was an incredibly educated man. By his own testimony, he was um, the best Pharisee you could be, legalist, held all of the laws perfectly by uh, his standard. He was well-educated. He sat at the feet of the leading scholar of the Old Testament of his day. And all of the things that we would check, he could check. He had it all. He was born into the right family at the right time. He had the right things lined up. He was an incredible guy from worldly standards. 
But he took those <coughs> incredible privileges and used them against the church. And so let, let's just look at a couple here. Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Here is this guy, Saul, when we meet him for the first time. It says, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. This is the story of the first martyr, Stephen. And as persecution begins to grow, we studied a few weeks ago that persecution is great for the church. That God allows persecution to come to get us out of our comfort zone and to push us out into all the world to preach the gospel. That's your job. That's my job. It's what we do. It's a privilege. It's an incredible calling. And this is the first guy that we have record that gets killed for it. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And listen to this minor detail. And the witnesses the people throwing the stones, laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so here we meet this guy Saul for the first time, and it's under his direction and under his supervision that people begin to be killed for following Jesus Christ. So Saul, jump forward just a hair, to Acts chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. It's hard for us to picture in the United States of America just exactly what that feels like. But it's really, in our, our modern day time, it's, it's ISIS, is it not? Think about the, how horrific for this Saul of Tarsus to kick your door in, walk into your house, grab you and your wife or you and your kids or, you or whoever is in there and drag them to prison to be tried and potentially executed simply because you believe the things that we just sang about. We're going to sing a song after this that we're literally going to confess the doctrine of our faith. We're going to say, sing things like, I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. That's what got Jesus killed and that's what got these first Christians killed. And so it's in that context, that setting, that Saul is running roughshod through the church. And so then we come to chapter 9 where we're going to be. And here's what it says. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so we, we have this incredible thing going on in the persecution of God's church. And Paul comes and it says that he was breathing threats. Well, what does that mean? That word breathing there in the original language means that he was breathing it in. He was breathing it in. Have you ever been so angry that you couldn't speak? And you just are, what we call in our day, seething with rage. This is the language that the Bible uses for Saul. Saul literally got up 
breathing rage in over the church. He went to bed. He put his head on the pillow at night, sucking in rage for the church. This is still true today. Have you ever noticed that the only religion people really get super angry about is Christianity? We're supposed to be tolerant of all these worldviews. Then when it comes to ours, it's like, but not that one. Why? Because it's true. And it's offensive. Saul was as good of a terrorist as you could be. And according to this text, he had political approval, political resources to carry it out. This is Saul. And so we move into our text for today, which is the story of Acts chapter 9. And uh, to get a full picture, the reason that this is important is twofold. Number one, nobody is too far gone for the gospel. You are not too far gone for the gospel. The worst of our day are not too far gone for the gospel. What do your prayers look like? I don't even remember who said it, but if somebody, somebody mentioned this a week or two ago, and it just it made me pause and consider it, that if God answered all of your prayers, how much of the world would change? Just yours or the whole world? an interesting concept but that's not my goal today to make you feel bad let's read Acts chapter 9 and then I want to give you some important things about the story of Saul's conversion and then I want to take you into Saul's own testimony as he begins to plant churches okay so we got a lot to cover but I'm going to do it as fast as possible but what's happening here is Saul is going to get converted and I'm going to give you the, the punchline right away that down in verse 26, 27, sorry, uh, we see exactly what happens when you see Jesus. Okay, listen to what verse 27 says. It says, Barnabas took him to the apostles, this is Saul, and declared to them how on the road, if you have a highlighter or anything, I would highlight this in your Bible, and write in the margin, cause. All right, here's the cause of what happened to Saul. It says that he had seen the Lord. He had seen the Lord. Highlight that. If all you got is lipstick, circle it in your Bible. Get your mascara out, ladies. Mark that down. He had seen the Lord. You want to know if you're a Christian today? Have you seen the Lord? The Bible says elsewhere that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So what happened when Saul of Tarsus, seething with rage, had seen the Lord? What happened to him? Look at the, look at the rest of the verse. Who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. My first point this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. God, in his grace, will change your way to match the way. Does that make sense? Amen. And it's going to feel painful. 
But it is gracious of him that he would change your way to match his way. Listen to the story here briefly. So we read verse 1, and in verse 2, he's dragging people away from the way, his way. And verse 3 goes on to say this, As he went on his way, doing his own thing, and approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. This journey was on probably was about 135 miles, a six-day journey by walking and horse. And uh, falling on the ground, verse 4, Saul asked an appropriate question that all of us have to ask. Who are you, Lord, in verse 5? Because what does Jesus say in verse 4? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the appropriate question is answered with the appropriate response. Who are you, Lord? Imagine the context of that. Okay, so, so for this band of guys that's with Saul, it says that they were re- arrested in their walking and all they could sense was that they saw the glory of God but they couldn't hear anything. They were so blinded and dumbfounded that they couldn't do anything but see the glory of God that had knocked Paul off his horse. And the question was, who are you, Lord? There's an important facet here. That as you go into the world and share your faith and undoubtedly will suffer for it in some way, you may lose your job, you may not get dragged off to prison yet, but you may lose your job. You may, you may lose something that will hurt. What's important in this text is that Jesus says that when you persecute God's people, you're persecuting Him. In Romans 8, 18, the Bible says that vengeance is the Lord's. Why is that important? Vengeance is mine, He says in Hebrews. Why is that important? Why is it important that vengeance is God's? Because the Bible teaches that you're his bride, that you're his wife. This is, this is an important concept for Christians, by the way, that, that you can't love Jesus and not love his church. That, that, that if you find his church boring and find his church uh, not worth your time, uh, Jesus is offended by that. And so it's in this context that, that Jesus knocks Paul off his horse and here he is blinded by the glory of God. I've been having some fascinating conversations this week because you know, I can't get up here and preach about sharing your faith and then not do it. That would be, that would be terrible. And so I was sitting at Starbucks this week because I was on my way to the dentist, which was not great. But uh, sitting at a Starbucks over on... Uh, Kennedy, and uh, this girl, I had a shirt on that was a, a Christian t-shirt, but it was a cool one, all right, it wasn't a cheesy one, and uh, it had a scripture verse on it, and she said, oh, what, what's the narrow gate? And I said, boom, here we go, it's on, guns blazing, all right, and uh, I said, well, let me tell you, and I started to tell her, and I could just see 
She was getting bothered and bothered and bothered. See, because the gospel is inclusive. Whosoever would come and call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the gospel is exclusive. I am the way, the truth, and the light. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And then she began to be like, then she began to just like intellectually argue with me. And, and here, here's the beauty of the gospel. That there is an answer for all of the intellectual arguments and what it comes down to is who is Lord? Who's Lord? And I looked at this, this poor sweet girl in the eyes and I said, listen, you don't have to like everything. But if Jesus got out of that grave, you've got to trust everything. Saul was seething with rage against the church and Jesus met him in his rage and knocked him off his high horse. Can somebody say amen. Is it not good that God comes and knocks you off your horse? Some of you need Jesus today to come and knock you off your horse because you're the center of attention. Listen, this happens to me every week. He does it through the gift of Camden Coon. <laughs> Knocks me off my horse every week. She's not here. I can say that. I love you, honey, if you're watching online. Amen. Praise God. And uh, we've got the Holy Spirit and Camden and Mitch, and it's like boom, boom. You know, it's like the glory of God is going to shine. C.S. Lewis, when he wrote of his conversion said this, he said, I didn't want to be a Christian. It is through the facts that were all around me. And he says this, he says that God drug me into his family. Amen. Saul was on his way to murder people and put them in prison. And God knocks him off his horse and drug him into the kingdom of God. The gospel must cut us down to build us back up. Because God shares His grace, but not His glory. If you're the center of your world, you better be careful. God is far too gracious to leave you there. Somebody asked me this week, you know, what about all these pastors who keep falling? What about all these pastors who keep failing? And I said, what about them? God does not share His glory. There's nothing surprising about that. But here's the deal. Even, even in our Christian life, the second thing I want you to write down is this. Where we tend to see punishment, God tends to produce perseverance. Where we tend to see punishment, God tends to produce perseverance. What feels like a setback to you and I is often a God-given solution. Talk about a setback. Look at, look at verse 8. So Saul's killing people. And then what happens? It says, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. He didn't even eat or drink. That sounds like a minor setback. That sounds like punishment. Like, okay, you killed people? Blind! Oh, man, I deserve it. What was God doing? What was God doing by taking away something from Saul for a couple of days? What, what is God doing in your life by taking something away from you for a season? Teaching you. He's teaching you. What feels like a setback is often a God-given solution. 
Can I, let me just put a parenthesis in here. This is free. You don't got to tithe for this one. This one's free. God never asked Saul if he was willing. Some of you will wrestle with that, right? God, God never comes to Saul and says, Hey, buddy. If I set you up real nice, you want to you know, go ahead and spin that message around and start preaching for me instead of against me? God didn't do that. Here was, here was the leading terrorist in the world. The, the rest of Acts talks about, or, or the rest of chapter 9 and into verse 10, talks about how even the Christians were like, not even God can save that guy. Are you sure that this guy got saved? Ananias is going to come and lay hands on him and give him the Holy Spirit through the power of God. And Ananias is like, I'll do whatever, I'll do whatever you want, God, but are you sure? Are you really sure that this guy got saved? I mean, how would you react if the if you know the leader of ISIS suddenly started waving the Jesus flag? I hope I'd be happy. I'd probably be skeptical. How big is your God? God never asked Saul if he was willing. God just saved him. I want to close this way what's the good news in that passage because the skeptic would say well that's not that's not really grace god made him <laughs> just because they haven't read philippians chapter 3 if you have a bible go there i want you to see it philippians chapter 3 here's paul's testimony about what god did in his life and i'm going to close with this Here's what he says. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And check this out. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And then, can this be our testimony, church? And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And then listen to this. This whole series boils down to this, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead.
That's our confession as a church. Paul said, and we studied last week, that I would become all things to all people in order that I might win some. That someone would come to know Christ. Let me challenge you this morning. Wherever God has put you, He's put you there for a reason. Are you doing everything possible to be all things to all those people in order that someone might come to know Christ. As Paul launches out into his ministry, he turns the world upside down. We don't have time to do the whole story, but if you want to later on your own read through Acts chapter 19, we see what happens when God changes somebody's life. I'm not going to read all of it, but Acts chapter 19 verse 23 says this, as Paul was saved, he, began, he launches out and he begins to plant churches. And uh, listen to the irony of this passage. Because Saul was going to kill people from the way. Now look at what Paul's doing in the name of the way. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. And what was his message? Now at the end of verse 26, it says that he was persuading people and turning people away, saying that the gods they made with their hands are not gods. Do you know what our culture needs us to say to them today? The gods you've built with your hands are no gods at all. Your money is worthless. Your homes are worthless. Your cars are worthless. Your fortunes are worthless. I count everything as trash in order to know Christ. Freedom is not getting to do what you want to do. That's slavery. Freedom is getting to do what God created you to do. This is the gospel that the world needs. There is good news in the fact that Christ came to earth for you. Do you believe that? The band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song that just confesses the gospel. Come on up. They're... they're we're, we're going to sing the truth of the gospel. And, and here, here's the reality, that God wants to save people. <laughs> and He's allowed you and I to be the conduit of which that comes. Are you being a witness for Christ? See, because what the gospel does for you and I as followers of Jesus is it, it means that no matter what happens, Paul says, no matter what happens to you, whether they put you in prison, whether they beat you up, whether they verbally abuse you, whether they laugh at you, no matter what happens, you can share Christ because it is finished. That if they kill you, Paul said, if they kill me, it's, it's better to be with the Lord. And if they don't kill me, it, it's better for the world because I, I, am, I am on fire for preaching the gospel. So as we sing this song, I want you to declare the words of the song and consider what the truth is. How has the truth of the gospel shaped your life? For, for some of us in this room, it hasn't shaped much. And today, that needs to change. Repentance is that I stop doing what I'm doing and I turn around and I go do what God asked me to do. 
Are you doing what God asked you to do? It's good news. It's good news. It's what sets Christianity apart. You've heard me say it before, that God came to earth. He didn't expect you to rise to Him. And then He gave us the glorious privilege of being His ambassadors. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing, and then we'll be dismissed.